Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone. Athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage Podcast. Our special guest today is David Beckerman, founder of Starter. Dave, how's it going? Terrific. How you doing? Good, good, good. Could you just give us like a brief summary about yourself? I'm originally uh, born and bred in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Went to uh, uh, James Hillhouse High School. Graduated uh, then from University of New Haven. Started uh, working in the uh, in business uh, after that, and started uh, starter in 1971, uh, and left in '96. Perfect. So you graduated from UNH from in 1996, and you created starter in 1971. So how how the idea? No, no, no. I graduated New Haven in 1966, and I started starter five years later. Yeah, so what, so what gave you the idea to create Starter? Well, it was really uh, a development of a niche. Um, during the summertime, uh, slow pitch softball was a real big fad. And uh, I noticed, uh, you know, everybody wanted the best equipment and wearing what the professionals wear. But there was one item which happened to be a windbreaker. Mm-hmm. And all of the windbreakers had an elastic cuff. Um, uh, on their wrists. Well, the problem was that if you were a big guy, that elastic cuff would cut off your circulation. If you were a small, had a small wrist, the air would go through. So I just casually said to one of my friends, why don't they put a knit cuff on it? And no one had that. So I said, you know what, I'm going to try to do that. Um, and I went out and uh, bought a couple of samples and then bought some uh, materials and went to a tailor and I said, take this feature from this sample, take this feature from that sample and make a sample. And then we made the, the first starter uh, jacket, uh, which at that time wasn't licensed. It was just for the institutional trade. And uh, then I started to show it to retailers to see if there was an interest. Um, we ran into some problems, but uh, uh, those problems I've always believed you take a negative and turn it into a positive. That problem was is that all of the retailers um, had jackets that uh, had elastic cuffs. So here we would come in with a, I was showing a, uh, a sample with a knit cuff, and consequently that was a different inventory. So they couldn't mix it. That was the negative. The positive was is, is that we I turned around and told them that uh, they could, have an exclusive in the area so that it improved their gross margins when they sold it. Gotcha, gotcha. Could you talk to me about a little of like how you came up with the name Starter and also the logo? The name Starter, first of all, people in generally remember one word. If you start thinking about the great brands mm-hmm. uh, all over the world, whether it be Ford or Polo or Coke or, or whatever, people tend to remember one word, Heinz. Um, uh, you know, so uh, mm-hmm. it made sense uh, that I want 
second is um, a starter was I always wanted to be a starter, not a substitute. Yeah. How'd you come up with the the logo with the S and the? Well, and the um, uh, a man by the name of Billy Silverman, uh, who's passed on from Silverman Group, um, uh, he and I collaborated, and we uh, came up with the idea of uh, a logo with a star because we were. Uh, ultimately trying to get to the stars and uh, with the S it combined both of them together gotcha gotcha yeah iconic logo right now mm-hmm. and uh, I know you briefly touched on it uh, before but like what was it like just figuring out like all the manufacturing stuff and I'm pretty sure probably back then it was harder than it is today well well first before that you, you need to settle on and how you're going to get the money yeah. uh, to develop the did that process take like years or months or like at the beginning And then, and then what was like your first break, break, breakthrough for starter? Like that put it on the map?
help him with his charities and a variety of different things. It's kind of an interesting story. Uh, he had always said that he knew people in baseball. We didn't uh, really take him seriously initially. We found right. out later on that he'd take his vacation time and work for Adirondack Bat. That was a wooden bat manufacturer in upstate New York and drive to spring training and make uh, bats. That's how he met uh, Joe and, uh, and a variety of other people. In any event, uh, we had did some favors for him and uh, uh, Joe came to a, uh, a show um, uh, in New York and, uh, you know, at that time he was the manager and it was we were a little, uh, um, uh, just a, a little, little company. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was appreciative that I had helped uh, Tony and also helped, um, I made some donations to, uh, at that time, it was uh, um, through Tony as a, a church, which ended up being Joe Torrey's sister, who was a nun. Wow, that's crazy. Well, you know, in business today, or just in relationships, one of the things that you never do is you never burn a bridge. And because you never know who can help you. And here was a fellow who was, um, uh, worked very hard, uh, but was a laborer. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think that he'd have those connections that he did. Yeah. And uh, he brought him to our, our booth. I remember Joe asking, you know, was, he was appreciative, what could he do? And all I said was, uh, just wear some coats, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he put his whole staff in, and the Mets were the first team that uh, wore professionally that wore the. Uh, um, the jackets and if you remember Joe uh, as just part of his uh, genre would uh, cross his arms and put his foot on the Mm -hmm. first step and we got exposure on television and once that happened that uh, was uh, probably our first break that's that's an awesome story right there I was reading like previous articles about uh, like you guys getting licenses and stuff like that and uh, I read the story about you going to like the NFL office like 33 times I think it was eight years four eight times years. a year yeah yeah. so so you got all of them fairly easy besides the NFL one right uh no yeah. I would say fairly easy first of all you have to understand that with all of these things comes financial commitments yeah. with minimums meaning for example, our first license, uh, which was with baseball, mm-hmm. uh, was through an agent called License Corporation of America. I worked with a man by the name of, well, two people, Joe Grant, who ran the operation, and Ralph Arizari. Uh, my first contract was, I believe, $25,000 uh, and a royalty on each piece. But if we sold one piece, we had him pay him the $25,000. Yeah. regardless so it was a huge risk yeah. um, at the time uh, but uh, we felt it was worth it and obviously at the end of the day it, it was so it's you know it's it's a combination of uh, of uh, having the product and the quality having the distribution and having the financial uh, uh, wherewithal and willing to take the risk yeah. So when you got the NFL one, did that take started to like a new level? Uh, the NFL clearly uh, was a catalyst. Yeah. Um, you see, the NFL has a huge advantage at uh, the retail level, not because of its sport. It's because of its timing. If you mm-hmm. think about 
retail in general, most of the retailers, a significant amount of their volume is done in the fourth quarter. Well, the fourth quarter is when football is, uh, uh, you know, uh, on the rise and at its peak, combined with a thing called Christmas. Uh, so uh, it was uh, from all different um, points of, the, of interest and in value, uh, uh, something that uh, um, uh, that no other sport really had. Um, baseball's World Series was just about over in October. Uh, hockey was just starting. Um, so uh, basketball didn't start until later. So um, the football really between, and for us, the weather began to change. Uh, so the fourth quarter was really a, a key area for us. So and football uh, kept it. We became yeah. one-stop shopping, so the retailer could buy any of the sports, all of the sports from us. Gotcha. And uh, in the early '90s, you guys became like the number one sports brand. So how how did you pull that off? Hard work. <laughs> Right, I'll take it. How about all right? So in '92, uh, Phil Knight offered to buy you out, and you said no. What what happened? No, um, um, Nike at the time, uh, Phil Knight had come to our office. Uh, quite frankly, unannounced. Uh, it was incredibly flattering. Uh, mm-hmm. I did go out to uh, visit the facilities, which was amazing. He was very cordial. Um, at the time. Uh, uh, it was very clear to me that while it would, uh, from a financial point of view, it would be a windfall, uh, our people would lose all, the, the Connecticut operation would close, that would be 400 people without jobs, that they would want me to move to Oregon, and uh, uh, at the time I just felt that uh, that's not what I wanted to do. I had too many people that were loyal and had the passion, and I respected that, and uh, um, I didn't want to... Uh, um, I just didn't want to. So I had nothing to do with the money. He certainly, yeah. certainly, the dollars were there. So it wasn't a question of uh, finances. So it was beyond that. Gotcha. Um, and then you said you left the company in 1996. Uh, so what happened there? What do you mean? I retired. Oh, you? <laughs> oh, you just so you retired from it from 1996. So you left the business. So uh, yes. So was there a reason why? say was your most memorable moment uh at start like while running starter my most memorable moment yeah
How do, you, how do you feel about people are still wearing starter today? Well, uh, you, you got to define that. Um, I know there's been a renaissance on the uh, on uh, the vintage merchandise yeah. uh, to a point where they're paying two, three, four, five times what uh, we sold it for. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, and it, it goes to show that we had an iconic brand and have mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I was kind of saying it from like a celebrity standpoint. Like I've seen like a lot of even like like current athletes and like celebrities today like wearing it. Uh, so I want to know like how how do you feel about that still? Well, I, I whether it be a celebrity or not, anytime yeah. we saw a product or a person wearing our product, obviously uh, we always felt uh, um, appreciative. Um, yeah. You wouldn't buy it, and you believe that it's the quality level that you adhere to, and that uh, I always respected. So uh, I was always uh, pleased to see that uh, happening. Gotcha. So do you ever just like today, like walk around and you see somebody just wearing like a starter jacket or hat? So, so by eye, you could tell if it was a, it's the vintage stuff or the new stuff, like in person, yes. you could tell. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, did you see that the Alliance of America football, the, like the new league is actually going to be starter jerseys? I saw that. Yes. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I, it's not a question of how I feel because I don't <laughs> know the particulars. I don't know, yeah. you know, uh, how much exposure they're going to get. I don't yeah. know about the TV contracts. I don't know what, who, what's Yeah. In a startup, which has its advantage because theoretically it should be cheaper, mm-hmm. and that comp- and the company is gambling on that. Plus, the fact they're trying to link their the past tradition of uh, professional sports to the present. 
Yeah. But on the same token, if it fails, uh, it uh, you know it's not really a, a positive kind of reinforcement. But I, I have no opinion on on what on the new league because I don't know much about it at this point. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of new leagues coming up. I don't know how all of them will succeed or not succeed, but we'll see. I guess. So let's jump into your your basketball coaching career. Where where did your passion for basketball come from? Well, I started as a, playing basketball as a Jewish community center yeah. in New Haven, and uh, we lived in a yeah, I would say a tough neighborhood, but it was a mixed neighborhood. And the center was the place where we went and we played ball. And from there, I we played at the center, and uh, so I, I had that passion. I played in high school at Eddyville High School, and then. key to success of winning all these trophies and championships? Good players. Good players, good coaching? Well, no matter how good of a coach you are, yeah. you don't have uh, good players, <laughs> it's very hard to win, but yeah. I think that there's a combination of two. Um, uh, we had a, a, the coaching was a combination of a business direction where I made parents and players sign a contract, a written contract with me prior to the season. so that they understood the rules and also an understanding and building a relationship with the players that they knew you cared and you were trying to teach them and uh, being a help and supporter of them. And it worked out, you know. um, As I said, Hamden Hall was a wonderful experience. Pinecrest, the kids were terrific. and Both schools were high academic schools. Um, And... uh, well, it was terrific. Yeah, what was it like coaching Brandon Knight? Uh, he's, uh, was and is a great player. And uh, we had some other great players. I, I can only tell you, I'll tell you one story about Brandon, and it probably tells you what it's like. Yeah. We were playing, I believe it was his junior year, sophomore, sophomore year, I believe. I'm not sure, yeah, I think it was sophomore or junior year. 
and we were playing in the uh, regional fi- uh, uh, semifinals of the region. Mm-hmm. And if you lose, the season's over. Uh, if you win, you, you go on to the state final four. Yeah. Uh, so it was the regional finals. And uh, we were playing a team called LaSalle at a neutral court in Florida. We were down 11 points with two and a half minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And I had done everything that I thought uh, that I knew, called every trick that I could, and tried to motivate the kids as best as we could. But we were down, and the kids knew that if they lost, the end of the season was over. And I called timeout, and Brandon looked at me, and I looked at him, and sort of gave him that look. You know, now's the time. And mm-hmm. in the huddle, he had said to me in front of all the kids, Coach, they call me Coach B, Coach yeah. B, what time is practice tomorrow? Yeah. And the kids looked up at him. Knowing they're 11 points down, I said, ran at 4 o'clock. <laughs> Be there. He went out. We went out from there. He stole the ball, hit two threes in a row. Um, got a charge. It was created a charge. Mm-hmm. Had an assist. Scored 52 points. Uh, for the game, and we ended up winning by three. He's, of all the players I ever had, obviously, being in the NBA, he was uh, athletically the best player, but the thing about him, he was a tremendous work ethic. Yeah. Uh, if he missed a couple of foul shots, he asked if he could use the shooting machine and come in and, and uh, have some extra practice, or he, he would, and he was an honor student. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is a kid that, And uh, I know you have not one but two athletic centers named after you. So, what, what were those feelings like getting those? Um, well, <laughs> it, it was very nice. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, uh, each of us have an obligation, uh, regardless of our financial uh, wherewithal, is to give back and to share uh, within the community that has raised you, and especially. Yeah, definitely. I love how you just contribute throughout, like, Connecticut and didn't, like, like you said before, like, get up and, like, leave. You could have just sold it, but you, like, stayed everything in Connecticut because that's your home. Yep. And uh, last one, what advice would you give today to young entrepreneurs? Oh, I'd give you a couple of things. I mean, uh, I certainly would tell you the proverb that they said about uh, uh, Edison, which is 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration, meaning you got to work hard and you got to build relationships. This generation uh, is tends to be quick and impersonal. Uh, I, I see it so often, even in our own family, our grandchildren, you know, they'll text people or send an email to people yeah. versus getting on the phone and calling somebody versus getting in a car and going and meeting them face to face. The texting 
Actually, that's what I've been doing recently, just me- meeting up with more people instead of talking to them on the phone. And like you said, it just it's just like a different impact and they like have a different respect for you. So I appreciate you coming on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.